This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, July 1st, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. It was a heartbreaking case all around, known simply as adoptive couple v. baby girl. Walter Olson, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, discusses the Supreme Court's ruling and what it means for adoptive and biological parents and the institution of family law. This was a case um, widely agreed to be heartbreaking, uh, which arose under the Indian Child Welfare Act of 1978. That was a bill passed by Congress after uh, there had been uh, reports that uh, states were uh, too easily taking kids away from Indian parents, declaring the parents unfit, uh, putting them out for adoption or foster care. And so the law uh, says that before any kid uh, with uh, who is even eligible for membership in a tribe, and that's an interesting term of art, uh, can have the parental rights cut off or uh, can have uh, custody switched to not non-parents. Uh, there have to be a bunch of special procedures in which the tribe has to be given a right to get involved. Now, uh, this case came up in Oklahoma when a woman of Hispanic background uh, got pregnant. The father, uh, it turned out, uh, was... Um, uh, three 128ths percent Cherokee, but enrolled in the Cherokee Nation. And that meant that uh, he was about two point something percent Indian, and the little girl uh, around whom the case revolved was like 1.2 percent uh, Indian. Uh, and the uh, facts are somewhat disputed, but uh, the courts have generally accepted the, the version that uh, he relinquished his rights, uh, that uh, he made no effort to uh, support the baby, and uh, she assumed that the way was clear for adoption. Nonetheless, knowing that he had some Indian background, uh, her lawyers for the uh, adoption, and she lined up an adoptive couple in South Carolina, um, contacted the uh, Cherokee Nation, but he used several sp- mis- spellings of his name, and they uh, checked the wrong name. So through no one's fault necessarily, uh, the Indian tribe missed the chance to notice that there was a, a potential intervention it could do under ICWA. Uh, next thing that happens is um, uh, he decides that he does want to be a dad to this uh, kid after all. Uh, by the time the South Carolina Supreme Court rules, she has been living for two years with the only parents she's ever known, uh, the adoptive couple, and the South Carolina and the Supreme Court says, uh, looking at ICWA, gee, um, you know, this does seem to give them a second bite at the apple. It seems to give the tribe all of these rights. Uh, they did not correctly cross the T's and dot the I's, um, in part because of that mix-up. Uh, out she goes. And uh, admittedly, if you're going to be taken away from the only people you've known for two years, at least going to a biological dad is better than most of the alternatives, but still heart-wrenching. And now that the parents have won, although the case is not over, and I'm, to me the most heartbreaking sentence in the entire opinion was we're remanding to the South Carolina courts for further proceedings. So it's going to go on and they're going to have to spend more time arguing. So uh, it was my understanding from some of the early commentary that this was construed as a win for adoptive parents, yes. and uh, but somehow a loss for uh, biological non-custodial fathers. Why is that? Uh, well, the dissenters and you had uh, the classic trio of liberals, uh, Sotomayor writing the main dissent, uh, Ginsburg and Kagan joined by Justice Scalia, which is interesting. Um, uh, and they had multiple grounds. And I would say the strongest point in the dissent is simply that if you read the text of the uh, law, uh, it does seem to um, 
uh, favor of the father's side at, at, at a first reading. And that meant that the majority had to do fancy forework. So they've got a um, strong case from the language of, of, of the law. They've got a strong case from the uh, general intent of the law. The, what Congress was trying to do was clearly give a bunch of power to Indian tribes. And letting the father win was consistent with that, too. Um, Sotomayor went on to say, and also, um, you know, we ought to be, tread very carefully, especially because of the special bond between biological uh, fathers and their kids. Now, uh, Scalia, coming from a completely different Catholic conservative background, um, uh, you know, sort of seized on that, and that loomed larger probably in his thinking. My own reading of uh, the liberals was that they saw it as a minority rights case uh, having to do with a law that attempted to protect uh, a long-trampled minority, and that that was the important thing about um, uh, and it was also easy to just go ahead and, and read the thing and find that it su- supported the father. But uh, again, with uh, with Scalia, uh, who during the oral argument, Scalia clearly sympathized with the father. You could, could not say that about a lot of the other justices, because you know, as, as always in these tragic human situations, there were lots of personal things going on. On the one hand, he hadn't paid for the kid. On the other hand, uh, you know, there he was trying to step up for his responsibilities, better late than never. And uh, you know, everyone can imagine themselves being on either side of of, of a situation like that. But uh, clearly, with Scalia. Uh, you had a triple combination of the sympathy factor, the uh, special uh, Catholic worldview that he brings, and the fact that Scalia has always been the big one for reading statutes literally. What did the majority do here? You had a majority that was uh, first split uh, three ways because there was a concurrence by Thomas, a very interesting constitutional uh, concurrence, and there was also a concurrence by Justice Breyer who had crossed over from the liberal side. But what the majority did, uh, led by Justice Alito, was basically take an editing pencil to the text of ICWA and uh, <coughs> slice out a few things here and there that seemed to make the law really unreasonable uh, in order to make it a more workable and some slightly narrower law. For, uh, and they found some things that really were pretty unreasonable. For example, if you read ICWA literally, it looks as if it is imposing an obligation on the adoptive parents off in South Carolina to hire social workers to convince the Indian father uh, to uh, want to be a custodial parent uh, if he's initially reluctant uh, to pay for counseling <laughs> to, to make sure that he can't be talked into being a willing father. Now, as Alito said, you know, this is just ridiculous. You know, there, it, no adoption is ever going to go on under circumstances this onerous. So they began slicing away and and trying to rationalize uh, the law. And, And Alito seized on a couple of phrases one of them was break up. Another one was transfer from a, a custodial parent. And he said, aha, um, clearly this wasn't trying to uh, give the tribe a right to intervene in every situation where uh, an uh, Indian is a biological parent. Otherwise, it would cover sperm donors. And everyone was kind of un, uh, uneasy about the sperm donor situation, uh, which might indeed be covered by the law. So he said, uh, you know, let's see what the law was really trying to do. It was really trying to uh, prevent uh, loss of parental rights where uh, a relationship had formed to break up in the first place uh, uh, and where a father had custody. Now, uh, that troubled uh, the minority and it also troubled Justice Breyer especially who said, uh, look, by reading it that way, you are suggesting that some very involved fathers who might not have custody but might have, let's say, visitation rights could also uh, be cut off without the special procedures in this. And uh, that was 
that's uh, uh, you know something where uh, because Breyer split off with his concurrence and said, uh, "Look, I agree with the majority, uh, but we're going to limit this to kind of this situation, and we're not going to say anything about what happens when other types of fathers assert rights." Uh, uh, that means there was not a majority for some of those implications. So that was Breyer. Uh, Thomas had a completely different and, uh, as I say, a concurrence that repays a lot of uh, attention because um, he said, um, look, we all know what's going on, even if the majority won't admit it, which is that um, a lot of us on this court have our suspicions that ICWA uh, may not be fully constitutional. And so what the court did was it cut it down under what's called the principle of constitutional avoidance, where if you've got a potentially unconstitutional law, uh, you interpret it, even if it's not the most natural way to interpret it, you interpret it to dodge the constitutionality issues. Um, and if you can do it that way, then you won't run into a possible collision. You can save a law that otherwise you might have to strike down as, as unconstitutional. Now, the majority did not admit that this is what they were doing, but you could tell at the oral argument, Roberts in particular, was waving around flags of, hey, isn't this possibly unconstitutional to grant all of these rights based on race? Uh, you know, this uh, little girl is three 256th Cherokee. Are we really going to make her complete future depend on that accident of lineage and, and things like that? Um, and uh, Thomas, who is always a little more interested in reaching constitutional issues than most of his brethren, said, all right, uh, I'll go along. Uh, uh, we can avoid it, but I just want to point out that that's what we're doing. And while I'm at it, here's uh, a big constitutionality problem that I see, which is uh, you've got the federal government here invading the traditional province of state law, family law, one of the key areas that the federal government has left alone. It's always been a state area. Um, and uh, when I look at the possible grounds for uh, overriding that, uh, the Indian Commerce Clause, uh, uh, Sotomayor suggested treaties. But no matter what you look at, he said, I don't see where the federal government gets a right to begin dictating to um, state courts uh, you know, that they have to negotiate with some distant tribe. And that is fascinating for a number of reasons. It's part of uh, Thomas's boldness on constitutional issues, his uh, willingness to stake out new issues of where the federal government may have gone too far and need to be rolled back. It also might have implications possibly for the marriage cases. Uh, certainly the argument has been made on DOMA, the Defensive Marriage Act, that it represents an improper ouster of the states from some control over family law. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org. 